0: Welcome to episode 11 of the CoinPress Podcast, I'm Luke Willis. Today I'm joined by Dr. Tony Little. Welcome, Tony.
1: Hey, thanks, Luke. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So uh, I invited you on today because uh, I know you from uh, Prescriptive, where we work together. Um, But yeah, so you have a a background with blockchain and healthcare, um, and I'm interested to uh, get a little bit of that background, if you could tell everybody what you've done in the space.
1: Sure. So, uh, you know, as mentioned, my name is Tony Little. Uh, I'm a physician by training and a technologist by trade. Um, I sort of worked on three or four major buckets of things in the last 25 years. Um, the first is really electronic medical records. So back in the 1990s, um, as the world was kind of transitioning from paper records to, uh, documenting on computers, um, there was a lot of work to be done in figuring out how to do that. Uh, I work mostly in the emergency department looking at how we create documentation that helps physicians both um, document correctly clinically as well as get billed appropriately so focus a little bit on what's called revenue cycle in healthcare or how hospitals and doctors and etc make their money and so we, we developed one of the first um, problem-specific content sets for emergency department physicians. So someone comes in with a chest pain and they're 50 years old and is a male versus a female who's seven who comes in with chest pain. Those, they, they, You know, you probably want to document slightly you know, differently. <laughs> There's definitely different, you know, uh, in etiologies, usually in different diseases that occur in those different stages. So we developed, like, basically a giant spreadsheet that we put into a database, and then had the ability to kind of print them out on demand as the nursing staff said, okay, here's a seven-year-old chest pain, here's a 50-year-old. And we sold that to some of the electronic medical record system vendors at the time. Uh, They use them sort of today throughout the industry. And then in the 2000s, kind of moved a little bit more into other um, issues with medical records and how documentation works um, uh, in the emergency departments, mostly still on the facility sides and how the hospitals make their money not just the physicians, but how the hospitals make their money and sort of work on that. Uh, looked at AI as it started coming into fruition in the 2010s. Looked at ways of instead of, um, you know, someone taking a, a stack full of paper or a, looking at medical records and figuring out how to turn them into bills for the insurance company, using some intelligence in the middle to take those and use NLP and other you know, natural language processing and other technologies to turn them into claims automatically and let people come behind the scenes and figure out whether it was correct or not. So reducing the the, um, the burden on the human burden, if you will, on the administrative side of medicine. And then focused yeah. on patient technology, patient uh, flows, um, you know, things like self-service for certain activities that the administration normally do, like scheduling and, and sort of um, some of the other things that um, – you know, we we like to do ourselves on our phones today, and we sort of take for granted. But um, you know, rather than walking up to the counter, kind of thing, and experiences that we can do ourselves. Um, I worked for United Health Group that owns United Healthcare and Optum for about 24 of those years. So a lot of the a lot of time spent there working on those problems. And it was about 2015 when my brother came to me and said uh, he's sort of a social entrepreneur. Uh, And he's like, well, what are you guys doing with blockchain? And I did not know what that was. So I went down the rabbit hole like a lot do um, and uh, published with two other physicians on the the blockchain and healthcare challenge that came out in 2016, um, uh, a paper on how you would build electronic medical record utilizing blockchain technology. Looking back, I'm kind of like, you know, uh, maybe it wasn't the best uh, use of the technology, but I was new to it. And like everyone else, you sort of start where you start. Um, and I kind of fell in love with this concept um, of digital ownership of data in a new way. And um, you know, worked with the team at Optum for about four years looking at you know, experimentation, um, looking at building uh, consortia, which today probably would be called the DAO. Uh, we developed a, a, a consortium. I was sort of behind the scenes working on the strategy piece and there were others that sort of took it to fruition. Um, there's a, it's called the Synaptic Health Alliance. And so, uh, we, we were trying to solve some directory problems between big payers in healthcare, um, started dabbling in the crypto space in 2016, um, was, it was about when I started landing and, and doing some experimentation with, um, using those technologies and, and, um, playing with the markets, <laughs> etc. cetera, um, yeah, and, uh, and then I started advising for a company called Prescriptive Health about four years ago, uh, and now work there full-time with you, Luke, yeah. uh, and I'm working uh, currently as the, the VP of Solutions Architecture in the product management team on our Web3 strategy, uh, as well as sort of figuring out how um, that great interest in our platform is, all the players in the platform are super interested in figuring out how we translate that into um, actual solutions for the marketplace.
0: Cool. Um, Yeah. And I want to get more into like your, your general perspective on healthcare and and blockchain. Um, But since you mentioned it, do you want to go a a little bit into what we're doing with blockchain at prescriptive?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, there, there are a few hypotheses we have around how web three will influence healthcare in general. Um, uh, The first one is around uh, how it impacts Uh, payment. So um, there are a number of interesting, um, you know, FinTech rails that are being laid down in the public space Um, and things like uh, stable coins, for example, and how do they really impact? uh, Can we do it faster? Can we do it cheaper? Can we do it more microtransactionally? Um, Because there's just a lot of payment experiences that are very slow. You wait for batch files to go from here to there that exist in the traditional banking market. And we'd love some of our participants in our platform to have better experiences, whether they want to be custodians of their own tokens or not, whether they care about blockchain or not, we can still offer some experiences that are differentiating. Um, the second is how do we think about rewarding um, traditional platforms like Facebook and others? We sort of, when you're in the web two brain set mindset, you go in and you, you know, offer content. You're really the value you get has to do with, the network but not necessarily you don't get any sort of financial value out of participating we the the hypothesis is that in the future we're going to be used to working with platforms where we actually get some benefit as the platform grows and matures so it's like if you get into an ecosystem in the web3 world you kind of expect to be rewarded in tokens in some fashion right Whether, how you're participating and usually tokens is what the words are used. there's other things you can, raise, you can be partici- um, rewarded but so the bet is that we that we're gonna, people are going to expect to connect to and be rewarded in the system. Um, um, and, a, and a third one, which is super important in, in healthcare, is the audit ability of these solutions. You have um, a bunch of meaningful data that has to be used real-time to make healthcare work. There's a bunch of rules. There are a bunch of ontologies. Um, there are um, a, a bunch of uh, records that need to be made available right on the you know on time real time make healthcare work and there's a lot of money spent reconciling all that after the fact super expensive and it breaks the system down so the thought is we can leverage this technology to create um, a better reconciliation set of reconciliation experiences and you kind of you just sort of tap at that at those things in the right way and you start removing dollars out of the healthcare system that really don't need to be spent Um, and those really, if you do it right, you can create experiences that just don't exist today. Uh, certainly looking at, uh, how NFTs are, you know, how people are thinking about NFTs and ownership of content. There are things in healthcare today that we don't own that we should, and we're looking at experimenting with those in, in careful ways to, uh, to to light up some magic moments, um, that just don't exist today in healthcare. You feel like a bystander, mostly in healthcare today with your records and other things. And it would be cool if you log into a solution, a platform and feel like you actually own pieces of your record and part of your health, it also makes it so that you have, our bet is that people will take a little bit more effort on controlling their health if they feel like they have some control over the process. Sure. So those are the things high level we're working on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So talking more, more generally about healthcare, if you're working with healthcare on blockchain, at least in the US, I'm sure other countries have similar regulations in place, but um, things like HIPAA make for challenges uh, where you can't and probably shouldn't put health data directly on the blockchain, right? Um, so I'm curious what your perspective is on on that and other issues with healthcare in particular when we're talking about blockchain.
1: Yeah, we when we were at <clears throat> when I was at United, we and it was 2017. We we pulled in a bunch of the leaders of this. And this is a you know 200 billion dollar company. We pulled in a bunch of the leaders in that space and basically diagrammed our entire healthcare ecosystem that we touch. And we touched everywhere at the time. And started like putting lines through and Xing out where we just like, hey, we can't touch this. <laughs> because uh there were reasons, you know, like okay, we can't, we shouldn't be putting this anywhere near at blockchain because of the sort of the permanence thought of it or the, you know, certainly um, these are things that at the time were the technologies were such that everyone was super scared of that. I think there's some there's some new technologies coming out where maybe on a public chain you could put some of this data, but still even encrypted, people get really scared. Of, you know what happens if a you know, AI breaks it or something? So you have to be really careful about this sort of registration, this registry technology, which is blockchain, right? Um, and the reason why Synaptic Health Alliance really started with this provider directory use case, which is extremely unsexy, is that it's public data anyway. It's like, you know, whether or not a doctor is accepting new patients, what their address is, what their phone number is. Like these are data that every healthcare insurance company has to have for their network. Because if you're a member, you got to look up to see, you know, doctors and network and it's really hard for them all to figure it out. And they're all asking doctors over and over again for the same data. So trying to find problems that they all have to solve uh, is really key. So, so really the blockchain itself to me it is just a giant directory system. It's a registration and directory system. So things that are really key and important on this are um, not putting someone's personal identifiable information on a blockchain, but putting a tag to say that this person has registered and we trust this third party that has already attested to, like the government, that this person now, whoever's signing this with their private key, uh, is this person. And if you can have this little, this DID, this digital identity, identity is a key thing that will help drive use cases in healthcare because we can't do this anonymously. This is healthcare. Obviously you need to know whose records go to whom. So the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems in healthcare is, is, is the person who talked to me, who they say they are, number one, and two, where are the records? So it comes right, it's identity and then it's directory. Once you have identity and directory solved, then you can work on consent, and then you can have some sort of level of ownership that isn't controlled by a third party. The third party controlling it—in quotes—would be the directory system or your blockchain. So, some of the, be- the as we start getting smarter around building little pe- little tools and technology and protocols within the blockchain community, whether it's public or private, if you build it and it works you can start stitching together an ecosystem where you cut out a bunch of money in the middle. I mean, it's a 50 to a hundred billion dollar problem per year. uh, Identity is in healthcare. It's what happens when you get it wrong. You have to clean up all this stuff downstream. How much does it take to, 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 for identity up front, filling out all the forms, all the things that happen over and over again that we take as uh, just the cost of doing business today, that could be greatly reduced in cost If we had a system where you had, a portable identity. Identity is really an NFT at the end of the day. It's something you have that should be yours. You should have control over. It's, it's thinking more meta about, and meta is a funny word nowadays, but uh, about (laughs) how you, uh, how you kind of deal with, uh, some of these things that, um, that everybody double spends today. Right. Your identity is one of them. You know, everybody's spending your identity. That's part of the reason why these, the Facebook and stuff, has, you know, they are they, basically selling your identity to other people. It, it's right. your act, it's your behaviors associated with your identity, it's, it's like you get, you know, the the advertiser of the month, you know, putting a Viagra, you know, whatever thing on your on your front page, right in front of you, these advertisements. So uh, uh, when it comes to healthcare, some of these fundamental things either need to be solved or there needs to be a way to internally or like in a private or permissions type experience, or if the public sector finds a way to solve them as a risk of protocols in those networks, you just use them as, as third party tools. So there are a number of interesting things going on in the public space that make me super excited about what we can do in healthcare, because you know, you're just, you're solving the same problem, but just in a different way. Um, and it's really exciting to, to try and leverage those and play with them. And um tinker around. So that's kind of where we are. Um, What are some of those public ones that that you're excited about? Just curious. Yeah. So the the first one is generally the DeFi space. So um, there's a bunch of, um, there's a bunch of money in healthcare that sits there and a bank is the only one who has it. Um, So if we're looking at ways in which we can allow the participants in healthcare to leverage some of those same, leverage some of those same technologies with the right protections, then you're able to sort of by participating in a network that embraces those, provide value that you didn't have otherwise. So it, it's sort of like taking something that's traditionally in an investment space, combining it with something else to create a Web3 experience. Because most web, you can't really do di- you can't really disconnect the token. From the experience. Like, a lot, like There are very narrow use cases where you might say that using a blockchain makes a lot of sense unless you're trying to find a way to think about something and tokenize it in some fashion. It's sure. really, really hard. It has to be a really, really massive problem that the, the folks participating have to say consciously and work in a spreadsheet and say the value of working together, the operational savings is greater than or equal to Um, the amount of effort it takes to run a node and use this decentralized technology. With Bitcoin, they just, you know, Bitcoins are made every block and it just sort of perpetuates itself. And when you start removing that away, the networks have to sort of think differently. And most of the big companies that exist in healthcare today, they make money by holding on to data, not sharing data. So you have these, all these incumbents that they play with technology and they go, this, I don't understand it. It doesn't do what I want it to do, but they're thinking about it in terms of their profit and not thinking about it in terms of the value to the ecosystem. And that's, that's where it's right. cool to be in a company like Prescriptive, where we're coming in as a new company, we're thinking about it differently. We don't have these, you know, like this ball and chain on our ankle, which says if we hold on to this data super tight, we make a bunch of money. We're coming in at it with a different angle and saying we can be lean, mean, think about the ecosystem, think about being transparent, and then spinning off use cases on top of that. Once you have everyone working together the right way, what can you value add to the system versus trying to like extract rent and it sort of extort different participants, which happens sometimes in healthcare, unfortunately.
0: Right, right. Interesting. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that emphasis on the bottom line is common in healthcare. Uh, and especially in the US, there's a lot of profit to be made. There's a lot of money flowing around mm-hmm. in healthcare. Um, but we talk about how, how prescriptive there are. There's a lot of seemingly wasted dollars being spent by by the by patients, right? Um, money that isn't really of isn't really being used for a value add in terms of your um, your patient results. Um, so I'm curious with when, when we talk about blockchain and using something like Ethereum there are a lot of uh, gas fees, right? To do fairly simple things. And that's a, that is a fee that will add to the costs of the, um, the technology that you're using. And ultimately that'll get passed on to the patient. Um, so I'm curious what your take is on the accessibility of cost for patients um, and what, uh, what types of solutions are, are we exploring in healthcare, uh, like layer two, um, alternative, cheaper layer ones, etc.? cetera?
1: Yeah, um, my, my philosophy on layer ones is what you're paying for is the fact that 10 years, 20 years, 100 years from now, that data will still be there and no one has edited it. It's still what you sure. wrote. Like ultimately it's the ultimate trust sink. So there are only a few chains today that I would probably make that bet on. Right? Sure. Or or at least you couldn't look back in history and say, okay, someone already did a you know 51% attack or whatever it is, right? And so therefore we're not sure we trust the data anymore. These big companies are not gonna spend millions of dollars building solutions over top of something that they don't trust to be there as long as the business exists. So sure. I wouldn't build something, and and I'm sorry if you're invested in Tron, but I would not (laughs) build something (laughs) with prescriptive dollars on top of the Tron layer one because it's already been, it's already like people, this thing is a, I would consider a zombie chain in a lot of ways because of the fact that it's already lost the trust of the ecosystem. The outside of maybe a few who are diehard on it. So it, I think that uh, when you're looking at what is that worth, And you look at what is the cost of trying to maintain a SQL database for 40 years um, and the trust of others to participate with you, the cost I should say of convincing others to participate with you. You, you can't beat Bitcoin and Ethereum right now in terms of that security because there's just so much money behind it really. Right. So the crypto economics set up such that that's the fashion. Now you you would, I think that I agree with Vitalik that layer ones are really not meant for users. Now you can argue that a new layer one, uh, with not much traffic and not many users is probably just fine and affordable, but you to trade off is that you're not sure there's going to be that security in the future. So any new layer one coming out kind of has to prove itself. And then it has to be careful because as more and more folks start using it, it's going to run into the same problems that Bitcoin and Ethereum run into, which is you have a whole bunch of people getting in line for a bus that only leaves so often. Right. Sure. And, and so certainly in healthcare, as well as I would consider any app that's going to use parts of it in the blockchain ecosystem, or I should say, it's going to use some blockchain as part of its solution. Um, we'll want to use a layer two of some kind. Like, Sure. You, you take, because partic- really what you do is you want to have a community of folks who are like-minded trying to solve the same problem. So, example is, just kind of throw an example out there. If you had all the pharmacies in the U.S. who are technologically savvy enough to run a consortium chain, a permission chain, that's going to be an L2, and sync periodically with Ethereum for security purposes, then you can do that pretty cheaply. And things will run mm-hmm. fast in that. And any one participant left, you could still keep running with it, right? So um, it had it checks all the boxes for what you really want, including the security of Ethereum as a layer one to sync it, basically s uh, s i n k. Uh, and and so the, the philosophy now, at least, is to think about how do you build a uh, go from a private to a permissioned model keeping your eye on the vision, the mission and vision of what you're trying to accomplish in terms of especially things like audit um, and other things that are super important in in the healthcare space. Uh, And also um, maintain your vision of uh, what you want to give away and what you want to keep. These are definitely web three things that didn't exist, you know, 10 years ago or so. Um, And that's the philosophy that we're thinking about here at prescriptive is, is, is what, how to do this responsibly To make sure we're providing value, and then how do we keep our eye open on the awesome things going in the public space? Because eventually, there's a there's a convergence that's happening, and a lot of these tools that allow you to do more private things in the public chain um, will, if it's cheaper to do it there, then we take a hard look and figure out, okay, maybe there are some things we should we would rather do in a public chain, and then partner with those communities. Because this is all about communities there aren't, these aren't companies right these are these are really DAOs. you can call them what you want, but to a certain extent, there are pieces of it that may be owned by a company to start, but eventually they kind of if they've done right, they sort of give it up So I think use a homeowners association like example, you usually have these developers that create the environment and then eventually they kind of give it away to the community. That's what a lot of these yeah. good ecosystems are doing, yeah, yeah, it's a good analogy
0: um. Cool. So, uh, l- let's talk more about that. The the private to permissioned. Um, I, you have a perspective on when to use a private blockchain, when to use a permissioned blockchain. Um, I'm curious if you could just go into that a little bit.
1: Yeah, most of the time, a private blockchain is is a stepping stone into moving into something that is more public, because. Sure. Generally, I, you know, it's like it, you could argue that when the Bitcoin was first formed, it was really a private chain for the first couple that stood up. It was just people just doing it privately. And then they sort of rapidly evolved into this thing. They, they built the tools to make it. It was being permissioned at first. It was like, hey, you know, why don't you stand this up? And the permission was, here's the SDK. And then they worked on it together. I mean, sure it's just the first three or four. I'm sure there was, you know, guys going over there, you know, as asynchronous, maybe over a bunch of chats, right, trying to figure it out or emails um uh and so you generally that would be the case there there are a few use cases that you can think of at a super enterprise scale like a global enterprise scale where you could argue yeah okay you know maybe the value of doing this makes sense like you have a really kind of loosely held decentralized business model there is there's one or two that i've worked with in the past where they have like different business units in different parts of the world they don't really trust those business units all that much or they just like there's a reason why it's there may be like trying to get some compliance done. Okay. Maybe you set up a private, really a private blockchain within one company and you could maybe save some money, but um, that's really hard. Um, generally you'd stand something up like that with an eye on, okay, who are the other participants in the marketplace that have the same problem I have? And there's no real reason for any one of us to win. And a classic example of healthcare is coordination of benefits. So all these payers, there are rules associated with who pays first or second if I'm double covered. If I have United Healthcare Insurance and Aetna Healthcare Insurance, mm-hmm. it just so happens that um, if my kids are double covered, then it's like whichever parent has a birthday earlier in the year is the primary covered. So it's like United, but and whoever pays first pays 80%. Whatever health co- insurance company pays first pays 80%, and the other one pays 20%. So it matters who pays first or second because you're going to be out a bunch of money. And if you mess it up, you got to go figure it out. So this is an example of something where it's like it makes perfect sense to have, like, a decentralized coordinating entity. It's going to save a bunch of money. There are companies that do this with, you know, SQL and stuff, but, and they ask everyone to, like, donate their data. But then there's a bunch of operational overhead. What happens if, like, United's like, hey, Aetna is not, you know, contributing to their data? <laughs> and then there's a SQL database no one sees. And now you have this company in the middle that's trying to figure out these relationships. It's like it's really expensive, and it never it's never perfect. It, you can sort of get rid of this middleman, if you will, with the technology. It's a very good, very good use case. Very good use case for that. Um, so, oh, I'm on, I'm on a phone. thank you. Go to model, please. Um, sorry about that. No um, worries. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I got a little derail there. Uh, so. So, um, you know, it's it's it you generally go from private to permissioned. And there's this concept of public permissioned where you could take a use case like that. And similar to uh, the freeway, freeway is a classic example of a a public permissioned ecosystem. You don't need it's a it's sort of permissioned in that you have uh, those who are working on it have to have permission to work on it. But all you need to do is get a registration for your car and a license, and you can drive on it. So there are, there are ways in which we're, they're looking at creating these. And I think Ethereum is actually moving into a kind of a model like that a little bit, but the difference between a validator and uh, I can't remember the technical details, but there's like a little bit of a two-layer difference. Where the main the main ones are going to hold like these terabytes of data, probably going to be in a data center, and doing hard work. And then there's others who can sort of help participate who maybe kind of... Can do it, and it's more or less free to do it. It's a very small client, right? So, thinking about how we take these, and the reason why this matters is because it's really easy to explain to someone economically in healthcare why you can get audit. You can get audit things. Yeah. Okay, so you have two minutes, and I'll come help you. Okay, she's help with her with her uh, iPad there, and um, and so, and so um, you. It's easy to work the economics of audit, to say, hey, instead of you, us trading files back and forth, and instead of when we screwed up, we have to get on the phone together, we just have our one source of truth that we, all, we both participate in and audit. That's a pretty easy sell. But the cost of running nodes offsets a lot of those costs, and it's a hard argument. The cost of networking is the, the two economic, I don't know, I should go back maybe, the two economic features of blockchain that really matter, cost of audit and the cost of networking. Cost of audit, we can describe it and in healthcare, everyone gets it. The cost of networking is really, really hard because we just can't create Bitcoins out of thin air and, and pay everyone for participating in this network or at least no one's figured right. out how to do that in a way that makes sense or the SEC comes down and busts us. So um, we, we have to think about those network costs and how do we um, bring those to fruition such that it makes it so it's cheaper to do this than doing it other ways. And that's why it... The magic comes when you get to a system that allows for the right level of participation um, to secure the network in the way you want, all these other things, which is why it's nice to have an L2, L1 kind of experience. Sure. You start pushing some of that security off to an L1. It's not a long way to, to talk about this evolution of private to permissioned to public permissioned, and then you may be able to spin off pieces that are fully public. If the technology gets it, if folks like you and others working on L1s get to the point where there's you know, the ZKs, homomorphic encryption, to the point where, like, you trust actually doing things where you feel like you can write more private things to public chains. Then there may be an opportunity for these more public or, or layered certain ways where the public can participate and yet the things that are private remain private. That's when areas like like healthcare are going to land really really nicely. Um, yeah. So we're there's working from the public out to the out and then also the other direction, so. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we'll give you a second, which uh, the kid
0: there. Um, so yeah, the uh, the next bit that I wanna talk about here, um, I may have to repeat this for Tony, he's helping out the kid here, um, but I wanna get into kind of the, the alternative here, right? Where if you have data, that shouldn't be stored on a blockchain for security reasons of the data. Um, Does it make sense just to store that off-chain, but still in a way that allows for uh, the patient or the the user, if we're not talking about healthcare, to really own that data themselves. Um, So whether that's a, a database on your own device or some service that you pay for elsewhere, uh, it could make sense to basically have an off-chain storage uh, of of the data that you want. And then you can use the public player one or whatever uh, as your means of securing that. Uh, now, granted, you still have that database separately um, where that's something that could get hacked or get tampered with. Uh, mm-hmm. like store, like, you know, in an NFT on the blockchain, a hash of the data or something like that. So there's no way to, like, figure out what the data is that's there, but you can verify cryptographically that it is the right data. Um, so something to that effect. I'm curious. That's, you- that, yeah, there's actually a number of
1: companies working on that. Um, you know, there, there's a big, One of the things that we've done in healthcare in the last 10 years is created something called FHIR, F-H-I-R, Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources. Basically it's turning healthcare medical records into something that is uh, transmissible over web standards, right? So you can, we've taken uh, healthcare records and turned them into resources at the patient level and at the, you know, the observation level, et cetera, et cetera. And there's all these endpoints that exist, all over the country and all over the world. And it's really hard to create a directory <laughs> to keep track of all that. Thank right. So so in in some ways a, a directory system on a and it it could be a public blockchain in this case that basically just has those endpoints published and the right economic system to keep that up to date would be fantastic. And then the records sit in the sources of truth that created them, which is probably the right place for them to live. You sure at least for now. There's the other argument is you flip it around and you say, well, the patient should own those records. So how does every time when you go to the doctor, you find a way, maybe IPFS or something, where they're stored and you simply store then a pointer and a hash to make sure it hasn't been tampered with on the blockchain? And that way, unless you have permission from one of the entities who signed with their private key that I give permission for this other public key to get access to it then they cannot there's an argument that a system like that has some utility there are some challenges in healthcare certainly if the person comes in unconscious you know like there's all these things like what what ifs and you know break the ceiling kind of arguments but there are i would agree with your premise that these things because they're replicated in many places don't need to be heavy number one we want to keep them as small as possible and they should be basically a coordinating system Um, and I I wrote an article about five or six years ago about blockchain being the next evolution of mechanical time. Basically it should be a, a system that we all agree upon as a source of truth and with a clock it's really just about what time of day it is. With blockchain it's also the data and so it is not necessarily about having all the data on the blockchain but us agreeing and if you want to hash it, then we if we have the right algorithms to look at the data and rehash it and agree it's the same data, it doesn't matter where the data is as long as you realize that the data can disappear if, you know, doubt up on Azure and Azure blows, you know, if something happens to the data there, well, you're out of luck. Um, but I agree with you that I don't, writing it, this has been a, there's been an argument on and off about writing data to a blockchain and whether you should or shouldn't. I think there's some use cases where if you have the right environment, you could write more data to it, the more public it gets, I think the less people want to write a bunch of data to it. Cause I mean, imagine sure. if imagine, imagine the Ethereum network and everyone was writing all the data that they ever hashed on the Ethereum network to the actual Ethereum network, it would be, you know, petabytes of data or something <laughs> ridiculous, <laughs> the size and you wouldn't be able to really do much with it today. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. yeah. It's like crypto kitties all over again.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, Awesome. Well, I guess we're getting pretty close to wrapping up here. I'd like to just kind of sum this up with, you know, we're talking about healthcare. We're talking about blockchain. What's the punchline? Like, why Why do you think blockchain is a solution that will matter to, to healthcare for the patient, for the doctor, for, mm-hmm. for the different parties
1: involved? So... If you look at what happened with Bitcoin, the reason it was created is because they didn't trust the banking system. You had all these folks that really were using our money without our permission, although we, we kind of had to grant them permission. It's the only place you put your money, in a bank. And they went out and they loaned a bunch out. They did a bunch of nefarious things with it. Ultimately, the economy crashed. If you think about what you can do today, DeFi, you can take those dollars, own them yourself, and make interest on it yourself. Similar how a bank loans things out. Imagine, look what, look what happens in healthcare today. All the data that, we, that really is associated with us, including our identity and other things, are being used by others to make a whole bunch of money. It's the same exact thing. <laughs> Bit, same reason Bitcoin was created. It happens in healthcare all the time. So how do we get control? The reason why, part of the reason why I feel healthcare is so mysterious for people, it's mysterious because... There aren't the tools to give us the control we need to allow us to understand how to make good decisions. We just, it's not that we need to understand, we don't need a doctor to understand how to make good decisions about our health. But we need a system that is willing to give us all the data at the right time so we can make an informed decision. There are all these entities that exist today that make a bunch of money by hiding it. It's no different than the bank that would hide the fact that they, you know, did all these. These loans, like all these things, and and not all banks are bad. Banks are great. I mean, there's reasons why banks exist, right? But it's similar in healthcare now. We have all these entities doing that. So if we can create experiences where we uh, have the right level of control and are given the right level of control over our data, it does three things. Number one, it empowers us to be more healthy ultimately. Outcomes, I believe, will be better in healthcare And a lot of it has to do with the fact that we can share our data. If all of our data is controlled in the right way, our doctors will know more about us without having to call five other doctors. Second is it's cheaper. There are less hands in the pot. There are things technologically we can do today that remove a lot of money out of healthcare, right? And ultimately what that ends up being is, Reducing the burden on a lot of the administrative part of healthcare today that is significantly overburdened. If you look at all the data associated with the cost of healthcare, it has less to do with paying doctors more and more to do with the fact that you have 30 administrators for every doctor. Right. Digital healthcare makes healthcare better, but at what cost? With Web2 technology, that cost is significant because everyone has a SQL database somewhere and they all think they know exactly how they should organize the data and explain it. We need to change that to bring costs down to make digital health care worthwhile. And I think that is the promise of this technology. It lowers costs, gives us better experiences ultimately. And Prescriptive Health is one of those companies that's pioneering that. And it's part of our mission. We have a why in our name. <laughs> prescriptive health with a y right it's cryptography is written right in there so it it is a mission that i take very seriously and that's why i work at prescriptives because ultimately if we can make those kind of changes using this technology everybody wins not just prescriptive
0: awesome well that's about all the time we have so thank you very much tony this was great appreciate your perspective that's my pleasure thank you luke all right. Well, join me next week for the CoinPress podcast, where I'll be interviewing Kelsey Hightower. Don't miss it.